Hey there, and welcome to a brand new series by The Post Millennial. I'm your host, Angelo Sidoro, and I'm going to be talking to a whole lot of interesting people who have far more interesting things to say than I ever will. And with that said, our first guest is really the epitome of the theme of the show. Uh, it's Dr. Gad Sad. He's an evolutionary psychologist, and he's written a new book called The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon already, and it's available just about anywhere. I'm about halfway through and I'm really fascinated, but I wanted to talk to Dr. Sad and learn some more. So with that said, here's my chat with him. So, Gad Sad, thank you so much for being here. Um, this is actually uh, the first of many programs we're doing with authors, so this is actually the first show, so we're really, really honored to, to have you. Um, you just released your new book, which I have right here, The Parasitic Mind. Um, how Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. You uh, have been writing this for a while, haven't you? How long has it been? So actually writing it, when I sort of opened the computer, uh, not too long. Uh, I got the contract a couple of years ago. I had one year to turn it around. So I submitted it in October of last year. But really what's been going on much longer is how it's been percolating in my head, how I've been doing the tours for years, talking about these ideas. So really, this book is the culmination of things that I've been warning about for many years. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, certain terms, certain medical terms, which, you know, even the title itself, ostrich parasitic syndrome, uh, you know, I've heard you mention that before, and I've just thought, you know, wow, that really sort of amazes me in terms of, you know, I've never seen anyone within this culture war really medicalize what's happening. Um, and again, even the title itself, The Parasitic Mind, I mean, this sort of stands out to me and makes this different because you're looking at everything through this, I guess, evolutionary psychological lens. Yeah. Um, yes. So I wanted to, to start there. You know, what is the parasitical mind? So as an evolutionary psychologist, one of the things that I do is to look at other species when I'm trying to understand the evolution of the human mind. And this, this field is called comparative psychology. So for example, we could compare uh, toy preferences of humans to toy preferences of vervet monkeys and rhesus monkeys and chimpanzees. So I, I was already uh, prepared to think about how some phenomena that apply in the human context might also manifest themselves in the animal context. With that in mind, when I was thinking about these dreadful ideas, I started delving into the field of neuroparasitology. So parasitology is the study of parasites. Parasites can, you know, enter a host and reside in different organs. So, for example, a tapeworm ends up in your intestine. Neuroparasites are parasites that seek the host's brain as sort of their, their, their place where they're going to parasitize the host. And this is really sort of out of science fiction because... Parasites that do that really are engaging in a form of mind snatching or body snatching because what they ultimately do is they alter the host's behavior, causing it to behave in very maladaptive ways. And so the classic example, although I discuss a few in the book, is Toxoplasma gondii, which is a parasite that can infect actually humans. But the classic example is how when it infects mice, the mouse that is infected loses its innate fear of cats and it becomes sexually attracted to the cat's urine. And so as I, 
as I got into the whole neuroparasitology, I said, aha, I found my framework for understanding all of the lunacy that I've been talking about for years. But instead of it being actual brain worms, I talk about idea pathogens. These idea pathogens are parasitic, hence the parasitic mind, because instead of leading us to the to be sexually attracted to the cat's urine, they lead us down to the abyss of infinite lunacy, hence the parasitic mind. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing listening to you say that because I think most academics that, that study this sort of thing come from a sort of social constructionist lens, whereas you're coming from almost a purely scientific uh, background and you're looking at it in such a way, um, you know, for me, what stands out, like a lot of my background is on college campuses. So chapter five, which deals with, with campuses really stands out. Uh, and I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of political correctness, in terms of these malicious ideas that uh, exist on campuses, these radical social ideas, to what degree do you feel, you know, like a parasite that we're not aware of, uh, that they are inherently malicious uh, or, or intended to be malicious rather than something that just inherently or naturally uh, came to be. Excuse me for the cough. Uh, well, the, the brilliance of these idea pathogens is that they actually cloak themselves in the robe of social justice and noble causes. So in the same way that a virus, an actual biological virus, is brilliant in its circuitry and that it finds a way to enter your cells causing then your, your body to replicate, to do the hard work for the virus by replicating itself using your own machinery. Well, idea pathogens are equally brilliant in that they start off with a noble cause. They start off with what appears to be like a reasonably sensible idea. Uh, but then what happens is that, if you like, they, they take on, they kind of mutate into a virulent form. So I don't think they many of these idea pathogens are intended to simply be intellectually terroristic just for the sake of destroying. But it's that in the pursuit of social justice, they end up murdering truth and raping truth. So let me give you a concrete example. Militant feminism is one such idea pathogen. Equity feminism is a great idea. Equity feminism basically says, hey, there's no reason why men and women should not be equal under the law. And I think any sensible person would say, yeah, sign me up. I'm an equity feminist. The problem with militant feminism is it pushes it much further. It says, in the pursuit of eradicating any institutionalized sexism, we have to reject the possibility that men and women are biologically different from each other. We have to argue that they are indistinguishable. We have to argue that everything is, as you mentioned earlier, the term social constructed, which, by the way, is another idea pathogen. Well, no, I could support the right of women never being discriminated against, certainly not institutionally, while also recognizing as an evolutionary psychologist that we are a sexually reproducing species, so it only makes sense that men and women would be different on some things. So again, I can chew gum and walk at the same time. Most of these idea pathogens reject that. If we're going to pursue social justice goals, and if truth has to be killed, so be it. Yeah, you know, you mentioned feminism. It reminds me of a, of a class I took. I actually took a feminism course in university because I'm a masochist, I guess. But uh, I, uh, I recall, you know, the, the professor proclaiming, well, you believe when men and women are equal, right? And everyone says, of course. It, it, it's, it, it's a very sort of innocuous idea to believe that. It's a virtuous idea. Um, 
And then she went, well, if that's the case, uh, you believe that you're a feminist and the feminist utopia is actually anti-capitalism and we need to destroy capitalism and rebuild something new. And it very quickly spirals into something else, but it all yeah. begins with an innocuous or virtuous foot in the door that exactly. says, you know, everyone could agree with it. Uh, and, exactly. you know, and I know it sounds almost conspiratorial to say that's how it begins, but what I love about your book is that you use data, you use evidence. It, it's all there, right? It's not that you're creating some kind of theory necessary, some kind of uh, a social idea. Uh, it, it's all already there. I mean, I wanted to get your take a little bit on what's going on right now uh, in the streets with these riots happening in Portland and, and just about everywhere else. Do you feel that, you know, there is a time 2016 onwards where we had an opportunity to pontificate and, and study these ideas. Do you think, you know, that parasitical nature has gotten to a point now where it, it's so dangerous that, you know, where do you go from here, basically? Uh, you mean as relating to specifically the violence on the streets, the yes. noble protesting? Okay. Well, look, uh, I've, I've been uh, uh, predicting for years that the end result of many of these dreadful ideas is going to be violence. I couldn't date when the violence would start. I can't tell you if it's in five years or 20 years or 50 years. But take, for example, identity politics, which is another idea pathogen. For your viewers who may not know this, uh, I'm, I'm Lebanese Jewish. So we escaped Lebanon uh, at the start of the Lebanese Civil War in the mid-70s because it was no longer feasible or possible to be Jewish in Lebanon. Well, Lebanon is built on the ethos of identity politics. Everything is negotiated through the lens of identity politics. The Constitution assigns who gets which position in, in politics as a function of their religion. The president has to be of this religion. The prime minister has to be of that religion. And then when you do that, eventually... And then you have complete chaos. Well, imagine 45 years later, after having escaped the Middle East, I'm seeing the exact same identity politics principles being espoused in every corner, in kindergarten, in elementary school, in high school, in university, in politics. There is one party in the U.S. called the Democratic Party that is completely enshrined in identity politics. The reality is that people are not going to be quiet forever. You can't keep telling a bunch of people, in this case, that share a similar skin you called whiteness, that they are pieces of garbage, that they should apologize for things that they have. At some point, people are not going to willingly take up the seminars on white fragility, and they're going to fight back. So whether the violent protesting in this case is happening from the Antifa folks, or later it will happen from other groups that are on the other side of the political aisle, Dreadful ideas will create instability in a society. And that's what kills me because the West was really an anomalous reality within our history because somehow it found the right set of foundational values to protect itself against what has been the standard, the default value throughout human history, chaos, hierarchy, dictatorial. And we found just the right values to build beautiful societies and we are dismantling it ourselves. It's, it's disheartening. Yeah, you know, you mentioned, obviously, your background being an immigrant. And I feel, I feel I've noticed a pattern there where, you know, I myself, uh, I'm from Greece. I grew up in Greece. 
And that's undoubtedly a country, you know, riddled with division and ideology. And you, I mean, at one point, there's a, a neo-Nazi party that was the third largest party in parliament there. Um, so I, I definitely understand what you mean, the Western, the sort of Western experiment that we have here that is so delicate. Uh, you know, to what degree is it possible to undo a lot of this damage? I mean, just jumping ahead to ostrich uh, parasitical syndrome. I mean, that's basically someone who's completely demoralized. Uh, to what degree is it possible, without giving too much away to the book, obviously, sure, sure, sure. Uh, to what degree can you can you fix this? Can you cure the parasite? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I hope so. Otherwise, there'd be no point in getting out of bed in the morning. Uh, so ostrich parasitic syndrome is basically taking the, the metaphor of the ostrich that buries its head in the sand to avoid reality, even though the ostrich doesn't actually do this, but the metaphor has become a well-understood metaphor. So that's the ostrich part. Parasitic is that because of these idea, idea pathogens that take over our brains, we lose our capacity to recognize realities as clear as the existence of the, the sun, right? Uh, so that's what we mean by ostrich parasitic syndrome. And so, for example, when uh, a terrorist gets on television uh, and advertises that in the next hour he's going to blow up someplace because of his religion, and he gives you the exact quotes of his religion and repeats it 17,000 times that he's doing this in the service of his religion, and a highfalutin Western thinkers will then say, aha, no, 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 it had nothing to do with his religion. It's due to the fact that uh, there was a lack of art exposure in his life. It's because there was beard bullying. It's because of climate change. I'm not being satirical. These are rare. And in the book, I list, uh, you know, 67, 70 of these unbelievable reasons. Well, that's what parasitic, ostrich parasitic syndrome is. It says that, la, 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 I am not going to listen to reality. But, but so to answer your, your then subsequent question, is it possible to uh, fight against these idea pathogens? Yes. So first, let me give the long-winded answer, uh, which is in Chapter 7, How to Build Nomological Networks of Cumulative Evidence, and then I'll discuss some calls to action. So Charles Darwin, when he was trying to establish the veracity of his theory of evolution more than 150 years ago, you know, he didn't uh, run a study with 30 undergrads at Ohio State and then say, there's my theory, it's proven. Instead, he collected data assiduously over three decades from geology, from paleontology, from animal husbandry, from ecology, from biodiversity, which when you put all of the data together, it became unassailable, incontrovertible that his theory was right. And 150 years later, many people have tried to falsify him and they haven't been able to. Well, I argue for a similar epistemological process, which, I call, which is called nomological networks of cumulative evidence. If I want to prove to you that, say, toy preferences are not socially constructed, the fact that little Johnny prefers the, the blue truck and little Linda prefers the pink doll is not due to arbitrary sexist social construction, but there are actual biological signatures as to why these sex-specific preferences happen. How would I go about convincing you? Well... I would put on my hat of a epistemological truth seeker and I would try to think up of all of the different distinct lines of evidence that will prove my point. So I won't build the whole tree for you, but I'll give you a few so that you get the sense. And, and this is going to speak to how we defeat idea pathogens. So 
I could, for example, look at, as I mentioned earlier, vervet monkeys and rhesus monkeys and chimpanzees and show you that the infants in those species exhibit the same sex specificity as human infants. Now, already that data is sufficient to dismantle the whole social concern. I've already killed it, but I'm not going to stop there because I'm going to drown you in a tsunami of evidence. Okay? Then I'm going to get data from developmental psychology where I'm going to take children who are too young to have been socialized, meaning that it couldn't be due to social construction. By definition, they're too young to be socialized, and I could show you that they already exhibit those sex-specific preferences. So now I've gotten new data from developmental psychology, from comparative psychology across species. I'll just do one more, but in the book I discuss many more. Uh, I could look at little girls who suffer from congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which is an endocrinological disorder that masculinizes the behaviors of little girls. So little girls who suffer from this disorder, their toy preferences become akin to those of boys. So now I've, it's really not looking good for the social constructivists, right? So bit by bit, you could take uh, funeral monuments from ancient Greece, several, you're Greek, from several thousand years ago, and you could show that on those funeral uh, monuments, when they are depicting little boys and little girls, they're depicting them playing in toys that are the same as the toys that we see today. The boys are playing with a wheelbarrow and so on. The girls are playing with... Right. So across cultures, across time periods, across disciplines, across frameworks, we can demonstrate the convergence of evidence. So when I am taking a position about something, I don't need to let emotions and hysteria rule my positions. I will build a nomological network so it becomes impossible for you to argue against me. This is how you inoculate yourself against bad ideas. What, if you were to ask me, hey, uh, Dr. Saad, what's your position on the legalization of marijuana? Well, I would answer with complete humility, I haven't done the homework. I haven't built the nomological network to answer your question, sir. Therefore, I'll refrain from doing so. So in other words, to answer your question in a long-winded way, you cannot be parasitized by bad ideas if you've got the, the weaponry of critical thinking, and in this case, of this epistemological tool to stake your position. So that's the long-winded. Do, do I have a minute or two to... Yeah, of course. In Chapter 8, I then... So that, that's sort of the fancy epistemological explanation of how do you develop arguments, okay? In Chapter 8, I then offer some sort of calls to, to war, if you'd like, or calls to action. My, the, the one that probably uh, is the one that I want people to remember most, although they're, they're all very valuable, is to activate your inner honey badger. And here what I'm talking about, uh, again, I'm using an animal uh, uh, analogy. Uh, a honey badger is extraordinarily fierce. It's the size of a small dog, and yet it is so ferocious that if six adult lions approach it, they will run away. Well, how could it be that six gigantic lions can be intimidated by a small dog, looking dog? Well, because it is incredibly fierce. Well, imagine if you could foster that kind of ideological fierceness. I don't think ideological, blindly ideological, but if you're going to come after me on a position that I know that I have the, the weaponry to stand my ground, I'm going to come after you tenfold harder. Right. So you need to 
believe in the principles that you believe in, if they are well-reasoned and well-articulated, and never back down. So people say, well, how do you survive in academia? How do you survive on social media? Well, because I've made it very clear long ago that I'm the king of the honey badgers. If you come after me, come after me really ready to fight, because I'm coming after you, I'm coming after your ancestors, I'm coming after your dead ancestors. There is no end to how far I'm going to come after you. Why? Because I believe in my principles. I'm self-assured enough to know what I know and what I don't know. So these are some of the tools that I talk about in the book. Okay. Well, I think that's a positive note to leave it on. I think that that's, that's amazing because people can, can empower themselves, right? The parasitic mind is available on Amazon. It's number one right now, last I checked. It's available just about everywhere else you can get a book, Indigo. Um, and uh, yeah, Dr. Sad, thank you so much. You know, I, I absolutely love this book. I'm going to be reviewing it. And uh, yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. A pleasure uh, to chat with you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Dr. Gad Sad for our first ever show. Not bad, huh? Um, the Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. It's available everywhere they sell books. Uh, and it is just really, really informative, uh, especially in a year like 2020. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's already a number one bestseller on Amazon. Um, so Dr. Sad knows what he's talking about. Uh, if you like the channel, please consider subscribing. If you really like me, you can even click the bell button and get notified every time we have a new video. Uh, and if you're just totally crazy about me, you can like and share the video as well. Um, so stay tuned for the next interesting person I have the honor of speaking to, and I'll see you next.